Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 13. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Quite apart from us, you have become kings. Indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, excuse me, as those sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to mortals. Excuse me. Should have brought my bottle of water up here. We are fools for the sake of Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we grow weary from the work of our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we speak kindly. We have become like the rubbish of the world, the dregs of all things, to this very day. This is the reading of God's Word. Pastor Will, I'm glad you're preaching today. Thanks, Jake, for that reading. It's, uh, it's good to be here this morning. I am, uh, <clears throat> I'm especially grateful these days for uh, repetition and uh, structures of routine. And uh, gathering weekly is, is a big part of that for us. I, had, I chose this passage a while ago. I wanted to get through uh, some passages in 1 Corinthians, and it seemed uh, that this, uh, we had done kind of a few on the, on the themes of, of the first two chapters, and then I would break it up, uh, and it just kind of randomly happened that today would be chapter 4. Uh, but there was a lot of, a lot of overlap with, with stuff that's happening in, in the world and stuff that was happening in my own life, and so I'll, uh, I'll get into those in a little bit here. Uh, the, one of the, the central parts of this passage is, is this line here, we are fools for Christ. Uh, Jake's uh, New Revised Standard Version says we are fools for the sake of Christ. But this little line here, this, this theme gets brought up a lot in, in 1 Corinthians, and this kind of states the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. And in some ways, it's, it's a little bit uh, awkward and uncomfortable. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's helpful for us to remember that this is a letter 
Uh, maybe this is kind of a combination of a few different letters, but here's a letter that Paul is writing to this church. So here is a guy who is traveling. He's away from this church that he's, he's gotten to know that he's, he's traveled to before. And so he's writing a letter to them. I write letters to people. And uh, then I know what it feels like when you're trying to address certain topics. So that's, that's what's happening here. We're reading somebody else's mail, essentially. And so there's a, there's a challenge here. There's sort of this reminder, okay, this is, this is who we are. We are fools for Christ. We are fools. And this isn't terribly comfortable at some level. We don't like to make fools of ourselves generally, but when we are called upon, we will do it. Uh, so, for example, um, when, I'm, when I go to the mall by myself, uh, I like to be in and out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, I know what I need, I know the store that I'm going to get it from, and I know the shortest way from the parking lot to that store and back. I don't care to hang out there uh, very long. But if all of a sudden I'm going there to get something for my kids, with my kids, then the story changes, right? Then I want to be there wherever they're going. And if they want to look at stuff, then that's fine. You know, eventually that patience and, and love maybe runs out uh, after you're sitting on that couch for a little while. But uh, when I go to the mall, I don't go to Claire's by myself. Uh, some of you don't know what Claire's is, probably... Uh, the male half of the audience doesn't know what Claire's is. Claire's is a store where they sell little trinkets that you can put in your hair or on your fingernails or an accessory that you can, maybe a little purse, whatever. Girly stuff. Um, Sebastian doesn't like going in there. There's nothing there for him. Um, but Ruby and Felicity wanted a hairbrush. So we went into there. And they have weird hairbrushes. What, like glittery? Who needs glitter on a hairbrush? I don't. Um, but we went there, and uh, I wouldn't have gone in there by myself. I wouldn't have looked at accessories for a long time by myself. But when I'm with my daughters, who cares? I don't care people walking by. What's that 40-year-old guy doing in Claire's? I don't care. They can make fun. I don't, doesn't matter to me, right? Um, and it was uh, Ruby's birthday a little bit ago, and so I went and bought her a present. And what that meant, I had to go to the little girl's store and ask the people working there about what's popular with little girls' clothes. That's not a comfortable conversation on my own, but out of the love of my kids, I don't care if I, if I look like a fool. Uh, I was in there a little while ago, and uh, the sales girl uh, came over, asked if I had any questions. Um, and I explained, okay, well, I was kind of wanting to buy uh, this skirt, because I don't like when she just wears tights. Um, <clears throat> And I sort of thought she'd kind of give me this look, like, whatever, like, you're out of touch with fashion, this is just how, whatever. That's kind of what I had come to expect. Um, what she did was probably even worse uh, for my ego, um, but she said, oh, yeah, that's fine, my, my dad has the same rules. <laughs> okay, so we're not interacting one-on-one, -on -one. I'm connecting with your dad through this, this is good. But whatever, I don't care. Like, I, it makes me a fool. I will be a fool for my children. I will be a fool regardless of the situation if it benefits my kids, right? If one of my kids, and this has happened before, my, one of my kids starts crying in public, 
Uh, I wouldn't cry in public. I have, you know, uh, pride and whatever macho problems that interfere with me crying in public. Um, but if one of my kids are crying in public, I will stop what I'm doing. I will start joking around. I will do whatever I can to make my kids happy regardless of what the people around me think. It's not because I'm some heroic father. That's because I love my kids, right? And uh, this is how we connect with our children. We demonstrate to them that they are more important than what is happening around us. I will be a fool for my children, and uh, I will be a fool for my family. I'm happy to be a fool for them. And so this is what Paul is saying too. We are fools for Christ. We follow Christ. There are rules that will make us look foolish in the eyes of the world. Doesn't matter. We're going to be a fool for Christ. This is who we are. Sometimes that's fun. Sometimes not so much. Um, we have... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so today, October 14th, uh, in the city of Rome, they had a ceremony where they canonized St. Oscar Romero. Uh, some of you might know the story of Oscar Romero. He was, uh, he was killed uh, in 1980, so uh, not very long for, for some of you before some of you were born. Uh, a little while ago in England, they uh, were redesigning one of the cathedrals and uh, when they unveiled it, uh, these statues were, were there. And these, uh, it was, these are the martyrs of the world. Now, something is, is noteworthy about this collection. Uh, these martyrs are not Anglican. Here's a, the Church of England is celebrating martyrs from other parts of the world, and none of them were part of the Church of England. Um, and there would be a lot of people who would say, hold on, these people are not martyrs. So let's, uh, let's go through the, the image here. So on the left is uh, St. Teresa of Russia. I don't know very much about her, but part of the Orthodox Church in, in Russia. Uh, the next gentleman on the one, one more to the right is Martin Luther King. He wasn't an Anglican. Um, and there would be people uh, of certain political persuasions, religious persuasions in the United States who would say, this man is not a martyr. He, he was shot, but he's not a martyr. But there he is on the wall of martyrs. Uh, then the, the next one beside him is Oscar Romero, who, were, who I was uh, talking about today. Uh, Oscar Romero was a bishop in El Salvador and uh, a well-loved figure there, uh, a champion of uh, liberation and salvation for the poor, uh, and a, a well-loved figure in that, in that country. And uh, the man beside him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who died in, uh, in a German uh, concentration camp for, uh, for standing up to, to Hitler's government. So are these people martyrs? Well, some people will say yes, some people will no, but these are people who lived according to their faith, didn't need to die, uh, but their faith pushed them to behave in a way that put them in the line of fire of, of the authorities of their day and, and where they lived. So these were people who happily lived as fools for Christ. Their, their worship of Jesus pushed them to do things 
uh, that endangered their lives, that made them look foolish, and ultimately they paid the price for that foolishness. So at the beginning of uh, this passage uh, is, is kind of a, a challenge. Uh, this, is a, this is a tricky passage, and I, and I warned Doris and then Jake about this passage. It's tough to read this passage reverently because it seems to me Paul didn't write it reverently. Uh, so Paul is asking the people of the church of Corinth about who they think they are. Uh, Because these seem like the words that a parent would say uh, to an overconfident child, uh, an overconfident teenage child, it seems. Uh, So just as as an explanation, when I put in brackets C-E-B, that's my common English Bible that I have. Um, Also, the, the visitor Bibles that we've got on the table at the back, those are also common English So if you're reading from the New Revised Standard or the New International or one of the other translations, the wording will be a little bit different, uh, but this is the one that I'm reading from. So this is verse 7. Now, hear this with admonishment, with, with challenge. He writes, Who says that you are better than anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, then why are you bragging as though you didn't receive it? Right? So here, Paul is calling out these people who seem to be behaving as though they are self-made. Right? A lot of times politicians get a lot of uh, credit for being self-made millionaires. I became rich and powerful through the, through the sweat of my brow. Uh, now, the rest of us are like, Really, like the money you got from your parents, the privilege you exist in, that doesn't, that hasn't informed any of this. But they can still say that I'm self-made, I did this myself. But really, has any of us gotten where we are by ourselves? Right? Our parents have taught us certain things. Our parents got us started uh, with uh, instruction, but also, um, you know, putting us in a, in a comfortable situation And then on top of that, we didn't choose which country we would live in, one that was wealthy and one that provided education and job training. We didn't choose any of that, and yet that has made us who we are, so we have received from somebody else. And so this admonition here, this is an uncomfortable challenge for the people of Corinth, just like it's an uncomfortable challenge for us, right? We all like to claim that we've gotten where we are because of what we ourselves have done with our own skills, with our own hard work, with our own convictions. But Paul says that's a load of garbage. We think we've done a whole bunch of stuff for ourselves, but all along the way, people have helped us. God has helped us. So we need to take that into consideration. Uh, So I'll tone down the, the seriousness for a little bit. I, uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager, my job, uh, my summer job, I, I worked in, in uh, tobacco harvest, and so I was lifting heavy things, and I was doing all this hard work, and uh, so my muscles were getting a workout, but my mind was fairly unutilized. Uh, it doesn't take much thinking to count the bottom two leaves that you're supposed to pick. Whatever, you just pick. And so then in my mind, I was kind of, uh, again, this is how nerdy I am. I would be doing like random math, you know, math calculations in my head, and I'd kind of be 
um, writing storylines and uh, imagining history, whatever, nerdy stuff. Now, the, the job that I have sort of takes uh, mental capacity. I read uh, a lot of scripture, I read books about the Bible. And so when I'm done work, I like to relax and participate in things that don't really take a lot of thinking. Uh, so sports is a good outlet for that. So I get in the car and I turn on the sports radio station. And no offense to the uh, educated and uh, gifted uh, sports journalists that we have in the city, um, but listening to them talk about sports is, is less academic than what I do in the rest of my job. So I'm driving home and, and they're talking about football. And uh, this past week, not everybody follows the CFL, so I'll just kind of quickly update you. The Stampeders are having a pretty good season in terms of wins and losses this year. And they've had good seasons in the last few years, but weren't able to win the, the championship, so there's kind of a, you know, ongoing struggle there. But last week, they, were, they played against Montreal. Montreal isn't playing very well this year, and the Stampeders almost lost. Uh, they really kind of got lucky and barely won against a really bad team. And then this weekend, they were playing against uh, the BC Lions, and BC isn't having a great season either. And so they were interviewing the head coach. And so they were asking him, hey, uh, like what happened? You guys kind of wet the bed. Like that's, that's the level of, of intelligence. Like this is the, <clears throat> like I didn't make that up. I think they said uh, you wet the bed. Um, <clears throat> so you kind of wet the bed against Montreal. Like what was happening there? And so the coach went on to explain, uh, you know, Montreal's a good team, they played hard, we didn't get the bounces we wanted, whatever. And then, it went on, then the interviewer went on to say, so you guys are playing BC, like they're coming in not great here, uh, you know, you feel like that'll be an easy game for you to get your confidence back. And the coach could have said, well, yeah, we've won 12 games this year, we've only lost two, uh, BC isn't nearly that good, so yeah, we should be able to go in there and clobber them. That's what we would expect the coach of a, of a really good team to say when they're getting ready to play against a really bad team. But he didn't say that. Um, so I want to show you the, the quote that he said. Uh, and it blew my mind, right? Like, here I am wanting to just have my kind of empty mind time. And this threw me right back into this particular passage. Uh, so say what you want about uh, the Stampeders. Uh, Dave Dickinson was sort of a, a prophet for me this week. He said, we are no better than anyone else. We just have more wins. Amen. Isn't that incredible? Like for a coach to say that, right? He could say, uh, yeah, we've got some really good players here. They all work really hard. I make them work really hard because I'm a really good coach. That's why we have 12 wins and two losses. But he didn't say that. He said, listen, we're all really good teams in this league. We all try really hard. We all work really hard. And uh, it's sort of random who wins and who loses. And so for him to say this, we're no better than anyone else. Right? This is what... Paul was saying to the church, you guys are no better than anyone else. Now, it's, it's, it's helpful when a coach says that about their team to kind of see the bigger picture. But if I were to kind of pound the pulpit here and say, none of you guys are better than anyone else, so don't think otherwise, 
that wouldn't make you think any more fondly of me. And I wouldn't blame you. So here is a coach of a really strong team reframing the dialogue. Right? He's saying, listen, Montreal is a good team. That's why they almost beat us. BC is a really good team. That's why we are working hard to prepare for them because it's not going to be an easy game. Uh, BC won, so now they're 12 and 3 instead of 12 and 2. And this is, this is the reality of the sports world, is that all of these teams are full of professional athletes who try really hard, work really hard, have a lot of pride and uh, ego wrapped up in these games. And this is, I, I think, this is a helpful framework for the world that we live in. Right? We like to think that we are good. Good things happen to us because we are good. But that's not the story. Bad things happen to us whether we are good or not. Good things happen to other people whether they are good or not. And the Bible reaffirms that for us. Rain falls on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So here we are. Uh, it's helpful even in a sports context to remember this. So um, Oscar Romero is, uh, was, a, was a Catholic bishop in, in El Salvador. And uh, he was uh, popular because he advocated for the poor. And uh, when he was working in El Salvador in the 60s and 70s, uh, things were changing there. The country was destabilizing. Uh, there was an increased level of, of war, civil war. Uh, the government was fighting its own people. And uh, large corporations were coming in to take advantage of the poor people that were there. And when that happens... Uh, leaders of the church are supposed to stand up and say, this is not right. And so, um, that's the kind of preacher that he was. So here's one of his quotes. He said, let us not tire of preaching of love. It is the force that will overcome the world. Right, so this isn't just a, a revolutionary who says these evil men are destroying our country. We should get rid of them. That's not the role of, of the church. And so he said, we need to be loving in, in this situation. And this is, this is the kind of man that he was, motivated by love, motivated by his desire to follow Jesus, a willingness to be a fool for Christ. This is who he is. So let's look at a few more quotes of his. Uh, while he was uh, working as a priest, one of his good friends, another priest, was, was killed. And not just like randomly, it was clear that there was a connection between what he was doing, namely advocating for the poor, uh, and the way that he was killed. And so, he, uh, Oscar Romero wrote, When I looked at Rutilio lying there dead, I thought, if they killed him for doing what he did, then I too have to walk the same path. Right? It's, it's easy to look at someone who was killed for doing something and say, well, that is probably a pretty foolish way of living. Uh, I'm going to choose a smarter way of living so that I will live. Uh, that's, that's human nature. Uh, we all are built with survival instincts, and so to act like this goes against our uh, instincts of self-preservation. But this is who uh, Oscar Romero was. 
And so here he's talking about death, again, his own death. I do not believe in death without resurrection. If they kill me, and so he kind of had this understanding, this is very likely in his life, I will rise again in the people of El Salvador. Right? You can kill the leaders, but if the leaders have left an impact in their people, then you can't kill that leader. That leader's legacy will live on. One more. So he, he writes this. And, and, and this, I, I want us to see this as kind of a, a challenge for us, too. Because this isn't the kind of thing that I say, uh, necessarily, because our situation is different than his. But uh, he, he writes, A church that doesn't provide any crises, a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it is proclaimed. What gospel is that? So, uh, Oscar Romero didn't have the option uh, to worship a god that would lead him into comfort and safety. Oscar Romero couldn't follow a Jesus that would allow him to ignore the suffering of the poor. Oscar Romero preached a gospel that forced him to take seriously uh, the people who were suffering all around him. And, as far as he understood, anybody who claims to follow a different gospel, an easier gospel, isn't following the same gospel of Jesus. So, this is the challenge from Oscar Romero to, to the church. Um, another quote that I read after I had put the slideshow together, uh, Oscar Romero says, Some things can only be seen through eyes that have cried. There's, there's beauty to that. If, if, if you don't understand the poor, it's probably because you haven't been poor. Right? If you don't understand people who are suffering, it's probably because you haven't suffered. And so here, this is, this is his plight. Uh, so the full context of, of the verse that uh, I quoted part of before, when Paul says, we are fools for Christ, this is kind of the beginning of a kind of sarcastic challenge. Because he's talking to a church people in Corinth who seem to be living in comfort, in social acceptance. Uh, they are lived, living in an unchallenged faith. And so when Paul writes to them, hey, listen, this faith that we live, this is a difficult one, then they can say, well, yeah, not, not really for us. We're sort of comfortable. We're okay. Uh, so then Paul is kind of responding to this sentiment. Uh, you know, we, we don't get that, right? This is, so here's Paul in, in verse 10, and I know Jake has read this already, uh, but, I, but I think it's important for us to... Um, to catch the importance of this. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise through Christ. Right? So here, like, if we just read this uh, reverently, seriously, plainly, then Paul is complimenting the church in Corinth. They are wise. Good for you. You're wise in Christ. 
But what's happening here is this is a challenge, right? He says, hey, listen, we are, Paul says, we, he's talking about himself, the other leaders of the church, we're foolish, we look like idiots out here, uh, we're taking chances, we're putting our life on the line, uh, we don't fit into Roman society, and that's because of Jesus, so we look like fools. But Jesus makes you guys look popular. Does that seem okay to you? Is that the way things are supposed to look? And he goes on. We are weak, right? Following Jesus makes us weak. It makes us give more money than, than other people give. Uh, it makes us uh, put ourselves in dangerous situations. We are, we are weak. But you are strong. You are honored, but we are, are dishonored. Up to this very moment, we are hungry, thirsty, wearing rags, abused, and homeless. Right? So Paul is uh, perhaps overstating the difference between the two of them for, for, you know, to make the point. But we, what he's saying is, for us, for us, the leaders that are writing to you, the people of Corinth, our faith puts us in difficult circumstances. So then why are you so comfortable? Right? This is putting us in, in danger, but you are safe. We look foolish, but you look wise. Right? Paul isn't complimenting them. Paul isn't uh, saying, hey, you guys, you should be happy you live in Corinth. It seems like a safer, healthier place. That's not what Paul is doing here. So if we were to read these words to us, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, but we might read these words to us as coming from another part of the world, another part of, of church history. And so there are various parts of, of the world where following Jesus means putting yourself at risk. And so I, as a relatively comfortable Canadian living a similar lifestyle as you guys, I could say, boy, we've, we've sort of got it easy. God must be blessing us. But leaders of the church in Latin America who put their lives on the line to, to preach what they are doing, uh, leaders of the church in, in Asia, in Laos, in, in, uh, in Burma, in places like that where it's not as easy or comfortable, they might write us a letter very similar to this. But they might challenge us. So what is the difference? Is it just that our, our government is, is tolerant and supportive of us? Do we live in a society that has less sin and corruption? Well, we have different sin. We have different dangers. But the challenge to us is the same. That we live in a society that values wealth over just about everything else. Those are not our values. We live in a society that values personal comfort and freedom over just about everything else. Those are not our values. God calls us to be loving and responsible to each other, to the weakest in our society. And so if we are not living by those values and instead are living by mainstream Canadian values, then we are guilty of the same sin that the Christians in, in Corinth are guilty of. 
But it isn't enough just to see evil in the world. It isn't enough to just say, oh, wait a second, those people who we think are helping us, uh, they're actually weakening and corrupting our faith. But Paul continues this. It isn't just that we are victims. It isn't just that people are making our lives difficult. It isn't just part of our identity that we are being attacked. Our identity is rooted in something else. And so that's what what Paul goes on to say here. We work hard with our own hands. Right? Paul is writing, here's this traveling preacher, he still has to work. He still has to uh, work in the tent-making industry, which was hard work. Uh, There were uh, he had to dye cloths with smelly oils, and like all of this stuff was, was hard work. He had to do that because he didn't have a comfortable position at the top of, of the church there. When we are insulted, we respond with a blessing. When we are harassed, we put up with it. When our reputation is attacked, we are encouraging. We have become the scum of the earth, the waste that runs off everything up to the present time. So when when Paul is writing here about how difficult it is for him in the early church to live, he's talking about things that that they know very well. They know the the struggles of, of the Christians who are being arrested and killed in Rome. He knows the difficulties that come from speaking out against the emperor, speaking out against Rome. But it isn't enough to just say, those, those people hate us and uh, we should fight back. He is demonstrating this is who we are. When we are insulted, we respond with a blessing. You know, I'm not here to tell you that Canadian society hates us and we should fight against it. That's not the whole story. We fight against those values, but we fight with these weapons. We fight back by showing love when we are insulted. We fight back by being encouraging even though we are attacked. This is the example of love uh, that Christ lived out even as he was approaching his death. This is the example that Paul lived out in his ministry. This is the example of people like Oscar Romero and many other martyrs through the history of the church, all stripes of churches throughout history. And so when we say, well, God has made us comfortable and uh, God lifts us up and we have to fight for the influence of the church in our society, that's not who we are. God has made our way difficult too. And when we stand up for the poor and when we show love in violent times, then we can identify with Paul, then we can identify with Christ. And that is who we worship and that is who we are trying to follow. Thanks very much.